Welcome to the Mind Your Autistic Brain podcast and YouTube channel interview show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am the guest today. We are flipping the script. And my friend Andrea Tam from Thoughtful Instinct has so graciously agreed to be the interviewer and I will be the interviewee. <laughs> I put a question out in the uh, community in Mind Your Autistic Brain and also on the Instagram channel, Social Audi, and said, hey guys, Andrea's going to interview me. What questions have you always wanted to know? What things have you been curious about me that you wanted to get answered? And you guys poured in with some amazing questions, things that have really given me pause to reflect on, which I always love. And you guys know that I, I even set up Reflection Friday. So in the group, we have a day where I'm throwing out some journal prompt questions and, and getting you to, to reflect on your life and your week. And I also do that for myself and share in the group about those things. Andrea Tam is probably one of the most gentle and elegant souls I have ever met. I invited her here today to be the interviewer because in the conversations she and I have had together so far, she always asks the most insightful questions. And I can't say that I always have somebody that makes me stop and think. And Andrea always does. And I love that about her. Andrea also has her own business. She lives in Canada and it's called Thoughtful Instinct. And she specifically helps nonprofits with a mission, with a really passionate mission. She is a new member to the autism community. She is a late identified autistic. And she has been here learning with us growing with us and sharing her experiences. And so I hope to have flipping the script back around and get to interview her here in the future. But today, Andrea is going to be interviewing me. So Andrea, I'm going to zip it and let you take it away. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much, Carol Jean. It's, again, such an honor to be here and an honor to be able to interview the interviewer. Um, I know that you've shown the light on so many other amazing people so far and so i feel so grateful that you have invited me to um take the opportunity to hijack your <laughs> episode today and um ask you a little bit more about yourself i know that a lot of people in the community following Mind Your Autistic Brain have had a lot of questions that they want to ask you. Um, we've definitely taken a lot of those in and hopefully we'll be able to address some of those today. So um, yeah, I guess I hope everyone will be a little bit easier on me as a first time interviewer, but hopefully with Carol Jean, um, this will be a really fun time. So I guess why don't we kind of dive right into everything, Carol Jean. I know that you've created this amazing community, Mind Your Autistic Brain. But before that, you were also Carol Jean from the very beginning. I think I'd love to hear a little bit more about maybe what life has been like for you. Um, what has your life like and understanding been before uh, and maybe even after uh, understanding it through the lens of autism and neurodiversity. Ooh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that is, 
that is definitely one of the things that I try and highlight and I try and share is that having not known I was autistic for decades, I was 39 going through the diagnostic process with my son, my eldest son, who then was 10 years old. And the neuropsychologist at the end of going through all of this with my son looks at me in the final interview and he said, you know, you were missed, right? You're autistic. And I'm just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I had gone through and read all of the questions for my son, you know, because you answer as the parent. And I'm thinking, I did that. That's normal, right? I mean, why are they asking that question? And as you go through this process with your child, you start to sort of connect all the dots. And I think this happens with a lot of parents, a lot of moms in particular, um, that we realize that, wow, we're autistic too. <laughs> it's not just my child. And, you know, he said, you, you might want to come back and see me. And I said, okay. I kind of thought about it for a little bit before I did anything. <laughs> but, you know, up until that point, I had lived four decades almost and just thought life was really hard. I thought, I don't get it. You know, maybe I'm, I was thinking, you know, God, you know, I'm just dumb. I don't get it. I don't understand it. You know, I have this really phenomenal mother and she is just this powerhouse of a woman. I mean, she is just this, she walks in a room and she commands the room. I mean, she is taller than me. She's 5'11". She's blonde. She is like bombshell gorgeous. I mean, my mom's 77 and she's still beautiful. I mean, she's still an elegant, gorgeous woman. People still stop and look at her. She walks into a room and she commands the room just because of her presence. You know, and I'm growing up with, you know, this phenomenal mother and it's not she wasn't overshadowing and or anything like that but it was wonderful because I got to see this living breathing example of what this tower of strength can be what it can look like and I guess I took it for granted like most of us when it's something you grow up with it's just like that's normal right <laughs> It's not weird or different or unusual or unique. It's, you know, it's kind of like what happens in families when somebody does get identified as autistic finally and they come tell their family, like, hey, I'm autistic. It's so great. I have an answer to myself. And everybody's like, that's no big deal. What are you talking about? That's We all do that. That's normal. You're not autistic. And then they're like totally feeling validated, feel completely deflated. And it's like, okay. <laughs> you got to recognize that this is the norm. You know, this is your family norm. This People all do this in your family because they're probably all neurodiverse in some way. So when you've got this great, exciting, happy news that you're autistic, and you're kind of met with this, well, that's kind of normal. It can be really devastating. But I want people to also know that sometimes it's not that they're trying to invalidate you. It's just that they don't know any different to them. That's normal. So. 
Oh, don't 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 get so deeply wounded. Give it a little space on that one sometimes. See that perspective. But back to my mom. I wouldn't I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be me if I hadn't had her as mom. Because in those years where I was trying to figure out social interaction and why I couldn't make friends at school and you know why I felt like everybody was always making fun of me. Of course I was taller than everybody else. You know, in kindergarten, they're getting the desk from the second grade classroom because my knees hit the other one and I looked like, you know, the giant in the tiny miniature dwarf desk. And it just, you know, if there was anything to make me stand out, I mean, my hair was auburn, you know, I mean, I was super smart and I was reading at a fifth grade level in first grade and they wanted to move me up two grades. And my mom tells me this and she said, we're going to keep you where you are. And I was really upset because I'm like, why can't I go to the third or fourth grade class? I feel like that's, it makes more sense to me. And she said, baby, I don't think you're ready. And okay. And as I got older, you know, we talked about this a couple different times and because it was still bothering me because, you know, us, autistic people, we we will continue to replay something in our head till it makes sense. And that wasn't making sense to me. I can read that well. And I, I, I belong up there. I think that way. I don't think like this. This is kind of like the dumb, dumb baby class. (laughs) That's how I felt about it. But my mom was pretty smart and she knew that I wasn't socially ready, that it would have been too much. And she was afraid of the things that probably would have been bad for me. You know, being the youngest in a, in a much older class and what that would look like in high school and that kind of stuff. And she's pretty smart. And she would help me navigate social situations. And she would say, you know, well, what are you going to say to the girls when you get to the party? And, you know, what are you going to talk about? And she would kind of help me in that way. And she did it in such a way as to, to help me understand the, the context of it. But of course, it it didn't make sense. <laughs> I was still kind of shooting in the dark. But when I got to the place where I went, oh my gosh, really? You know, this neuropsychologist just said I'm autistic and I was missed. And then it took me a little bit to process that. It didn't, that wasn't something I immediately glommed on to and just jumped in because at that point, I had already been misdiagnosed. I can't tell you how many times. I had already had, you know, in college, some psychologist, some psychiatrist tell me that I was bipolar and that I tried the medication, you know, for a couple months. And I'm like, this isn't helping. This is making me worse. And so, you know, then I get off the medication and I find somebody else. And, you know, you there's, and I know that this is something that a lot of people have been through, especially, you know, the female side of us, we're misdiagnosed or just missed altogether, or we're lumped into all these different, you know, things. And, you know, I finally got a diagnosis of ADHD and I'm like, well, that makes sense in so many ways. And I started to learn more about that. And so much of it made sense, but it didn't quite answer everything. It didn't quite get all of the parts and pieces, I would say. So I still felt like there was something. And then I just felt like 
I was just broken. I was just, I didn't get it. I just was slow. I was the odd man out. I was just going to always be on the outside looking in at the rest of the world and feeling really alone and really isolated in the sense that nobody seemed to get me and I didn't get them until I learned I was autistic. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now it all makes sense. And the more you jump in and you start to do the research and you look into all the different neuroscience side of things and you look at the research and then you're also looking at all the research and looking at all the stuff going, wait a minute, that makes no sense. I don't know what that person was thinking, trying to say this is how autistic people are because that's not how I am. And then as you go more and you're in the community and you start to connect with other autistic people and you start to share your stories and your experiences, you find that, oh my gosh, me too. There are so many me too moments and conversations in autistic groups that it, it is like for the first time you've, you get this connection that you're not alone, that you're not broken, that you're not the odd man out, that there are other people that see and experience the world in a similar way. And it's just like, oh, thank the Lord. Oh, thank the Lord. It's such a relief. It's such an overwhelming relief. And at the same time as it's a relief and it's exciting, it's also scary. And it also gives you pause. Because then you go through what I call the processing phase. And that is as you look over your entire life leading up to the point that you become aware that you're autistic. And you're like, I've been autistic all along. I had no idea. Nobody else knew it. You know, obviously all the doctors and all the people who should know and who should be helping me and who I tried to get to help me missed it. And then you're mad. And that's sort of part of it. And you get a little resentful. And that's part of the processing phase as well. And then you get to this part where you're like, then you learn about masking. And you get to this part where you're like, well, yep, I've definitely done that. I sort of adapt and fit in with whoever I'm with, whatever situation I'm in. Because I'm trying to fly under the radar. I'm trying to make some friends. I'm trying to fit in. I don't want to stick out. I don't want people to make fun of me. I don't want to get my feelings hurt. I don't want to be called ugly names. Because, you know, that's what we've experienced a lot of. Because we are different. We do communicate in a different way. And so over decades of that, you're now standing here going, who am I? Who am I really? And that is a whole separate process in itself. And that was a question that I think we got a lot of. It wasn't any, Andrea? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for, for sharing a lot about, you know, how this all originated for you. It sounded like you were in the process, if, I, if I'm understanding correctly, pursuing a diagnosis for one of your sons and it was actually one of the medical professionals who approached you saying well actually 
you might also be autistic too. Also with you coming to the realization, like you said, saying, oh, isn't this normal for everyone? So that sounds amazing. I'm so glad that you had, you know, such a great and supportive mother, um, someone to guide you through social situations, even when maybe it sounded like you may not have understood uh, her original purpose at that time, but can look back very fondly on it right now. Um, it sounds like a lot of people in the autistic community, especially those who are late identified, um, have a different set of, uh, come to a different set of um, obstacles where they have either come across, you know, some sort of um, other examples and started to think on their own, oh, what if I could be autistic? And they have to do that whole convincing themselves to an authority figure um, who may be able to provide a diagnosis or, or something along the lines. And so it sounds like there are definitely different, very many different paths towards understanding oneself in our own journeys, right? Like you said, everyone experiences the world differently, but it's so relieving. I can only imagine. Um, I've definitely felt this myself coming to the understanding that, you know, actually, I'm not so alone, actually. Um, everything I've felt to this point, even if I haven't had an opportunity or felt comfortable sharing it outwardly with many other people, um, is still very valid. So I don't know if that... Uh, oh, no, you just, <laughs> yeah, you summed it up. And I yeah. think that's, too, one of the things that it was one of the reasons, you know, Simon Sinek talks about your why. And that was a book that I read as, as part of my, my power hour in the mornings. I make sure that I have a devoted, quiet time where I exercise, I reflect, I journal, and I read. You know, any, I, I read all kinds of things. I listen to podcasts when I, when I exercise. And I, I really encourage people to do that, um, especially what I found is as an autistic person, I have to have solitary time. And it has always been something I've needed. I, I need a balance of social interaction and engagement, no matter what that might look like, you know in this world today, things look very different than they did before. So, you know, I'm no longer going into, you know, crowded meetings and gatherings and things like that, but I still am getting together and, and having social group meetings and things like that on, online. And that still is a taxing thing. And I found for me that I really need that daily, even if it's just 20 minutes, that time to, to connect with me. And as I learned that I had alexithymia over the last few years, that has really been one of the action tools that I use to help me connect with me. And I know that sounds a little, you know, woo-woo, you know, hokey, but it's, it's something I found that worked for me. And I, I know that it works for other people as well because I've shared it and they've 
come back and said, holy cow, I can't believe I never did this before. Or I never realized that this would make such a difference. Um, and it, it is one of those things where we tend to need that quiet time. I mean, we take in so much sensory input all at one time. And it takes a lot to filter it and sort it because we do that. And we usually do it after the fact. So we've got to have some processing time after interaction time. And I found that I have to buffer that in. And when I buffer that time in to just sort of feel my feelings, to identify what's going on in my body, how am I physically responding? Because your emotions show up in physical ways within your body. And that's, you know, one of the things I share and talk about in the, in the Mind Your Autistic Brain group, because that's something that many of us struggle with. Or, you know, for me, something shows up months or years later and you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? And then you kind of start feeling through it. <laughs> it's like, holy cow, that's from something that happened, you know, six years ago. But it's, it's in giving yourself an understanding yourself as an autistic person, that you're more able to be aware of how you've experienced the world and what things that you can use to put in your, your toolkit to help increase your enjoyment of life and no longer just living in a place of reaction to everything around you. Because I felt like that's how I lived for decades. I was just constantly responding and reacting to everything around me. And I felt like I had no control and no direction and nothing was getting me there. And, you know, having read Simon Sinek's Finding Your Why, I had already gone through a process of getting to my purpose and getting to my why. And it was just really nice to sort of read that book and, and get the reinforcement of why your why is so important <laughs> and finding your why. And that was that's one of those steps and realizations in sort of the unmasking process. And, it, and I use that in the term of just getting to know yourself. Because, you know, one of the questions that we did get, Andrea, I think was, well, how do you use masking? You know, is completely unmasking and kind of letting it all hang out? It, no, <laughs> no human does that. If you unmask and unpeel everything and you let it all hang out, you will be alone <laughs> because that's just life. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just not always safe, really. Um, but I look at when you go through the processing phase and when, you know, you've kind of processed your whole life up to this point and you're like, okay, I'm autistic. This is me. I've sort of, you know, started to process my baggage because it's kind of what I refer to it is your baggage. You get to this point where like, well, who the heck am I now that I'm sort of know what this word masking is and sort of what it is? Well, masking is a tool just like anything else. And we were using it as a tool, as a protective mechanism, because we didn't understand the world. We didn't understand ourselves in the world. Now, you know, you're autistic, you've learning, you're learning more about how your brain works. You're learning more about the fact that you're not alone. There's a million gazillion other people on this planet that are wired and think just like you in similar ways. And that 
masking was simply a protective mechanism. And like everything that our brain does, first it seeks to protect us, number one. Number two, it seeks to conserve energy. So masking has become a default setting. It's become automated. And so now you're, you're faced with, well, how do I unmask, essentially? How do I just, how do I reintroduce myself to me? Because I don't even know who me is. Because you've been on autopilot just trying to fit into a world that you didn't understand. You're realizing it. Now you're like, okay, what do I do now? How do I do this? Where do I even start? Is it possible? Number one, yes, it's possible. Because I've done it. I'm doing it every day. It is a process. It is not something that happens overnight. You don't flip a switch and all of a sudden you just, all you, all day, every day. It really, you didn't get here overnight. You're not going to get there overnight. Okay, that's number one. You got to give yourself some grace and space on that. But it is quite possibly the most life-changing thing I've ever done. And I didn't have any help. I didn't have... I didn't know. I was kind of still in my own little world trying to figure it out because I didn't know I could go talk to anybody else. So I just started going out into the world online and looking for questions. And I'm like, well, how do I get to know me? I I don't even know what questions to ask myself. And that was kind of where it started. And I started with journaling, which is probably one of the best tools that you can use to get to know yourself. Because it's a it's a way to go back historically and to look and see where you began. And trust me, you may feel like right now this isn't worth writing down, that you don't want anybody to know you and all your big scary Harrys, but you're going to want to know and it's not for anybody but you. So start with the big scary hairy uglies. I mean, whatever it is, it's your reality and it's, you know, it's not bad. It's not good. It just is. Yeah, absolutely. I think just even to add to that journaling note, one thing I wanted to share with you that really resonated with me is um, how one of my friends actually has kind of characterized journaling. I'm not somebody who has been a consistent journaler, but until my friend shared with me, you know, journaling is not really like you said carol jean for anyone else except for yourself and it's a way to be able to capture your own mental selfies over time and to go back if you want to at any time to see how much you've grown and so i love that you're sharing a little bit more about what's worked for you on a daily basis getting in touch with yourself connecting with yourself because it's so easy to just turn on the camera these days and sit in front of your computer and connect with somebody else have a really lovely conversation like we are having right now but the importance of the relationship with oneself and it sounds like that has changed a lot and evolved a lot for yourself, myself included, over time. Your mindset, it sounds like, has shifted so much. The feelings, I'm sure, have also shifted so much. Um, I love that you've kind of touched upon a little bit of the masking side of things. Like you said, it's really difficult to figure out, okay, what is me? What am I really? What parts of me are really me uh, and what parts have been potentially in order to, yes, of course, um, 
fit into societal norms, societal standards? And what aspects of myself do I want to honor and continue to honor, right? Um, maybe in a different way while still potentially respecting some of the different social expectations that I need to engage with when I'm here or there or whatever. So thank you for sharing that. I, I'd love to ask you a little bit more about um, something that's been on the minds of a lot of people within the Mind Your Autistic Brain community. Um, kind of tying into masking is, um, I guess, what we've seen as like meltdowns and burnouts. I, I think that might be, those two words might mean different things to different people. And so maybe from your perspective, Carol Jean, I'd love to hear what does that look like for your, let's even go back to what did that look like for you even as a kid growing up and then throughout the years? And now what does that look like for you? Once, you know, understanding what that looks like for you through um, yourself and, and your identity now through the lens of autism and neurodiversity, how have you found really right ways to work with yourself compassionately through some of them? That, that is something that has been a journey in, in its full sense. And something I will probably continue to learn and improve upon every day till I am no longer breathing. <laughs> as far as meltdowns, just to do like a, just a quick sort of overview of what they, how I see them, what they are and, you know, by definition and, and how they present. So a meltdown is an immediate temporary response to overly stressful situation or overly stimulating situation. Um, yes, I have experienced meltdowns. They are usually pretty ugly. They are overwhelming. They are scary, probably just not for me, but for the people who have witnessed them. <laughs> I'm quite sure, you know, um, not proud moments usually because by the time I hit a meltdown for me, I've held it in so long trying to control it because I tend to have control loving behaviors. <laughs> I usually have held it so long and, you know, I grew up in Mobile, Alabama. That is a very traditional Southern society. I am a woman in a traditional Southern society. So that, and I grew up in the seventies and eighties. So, you know, Ladies act like ladies. You hold it together. And, you know, if you don't like somebody, you just grin and nod and move on and, you know, go tell somebody else that this is probably the worst experience of your entire life. But you, you say, thank you. I enjoyed the party. Thank you so much. And you leave and you go, oh, my God, it was horrible. I'm never going back again. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, so I, you know, through a pattern of societal norms, was holding everything in. And as we know, when you hold it all in, it's kind of like a pressure keg and it finally erupts. It blows. And I blew gaskets. Not often. But when I did, whew, it was pretty ugly. And the older I got, the farther apart they would be, the 
probably the more intense they were. And they were probably intensified by the fact that I was chronically stressed, chronically overwhelmed, chronically exhausted, probably nearing burnout or, or I am the cycle burnout queen. And my 20s and 30s were plagued with burnouts in retrospect. In the, in the here and now, in my 20s and 30s, I thought I just had no self-control. I thought I was losing my mind at one point. I thought I was literally, I thought I was going crazy. I was terrified. And all of it was a burnout. It was a long-term buildup of stress and overwhelm and exhaustion and no restoration within that time period. So I hit these periods where I was so tired I could hardly function. I was horribly depressed, you know, suicidal, um, all of these things, you know, and they were all happening and I had no clue I was autistic. So, I mean, you know, you look at that with that knowledge and it's terrifying. You know, all of a sudden you're like, you go from being able to do things one day to you can't make yourself. You know you have to do this very benign, innocuous task, but you can't do it. You mentally, you want to do it, but you it is like somebody has frozen you. And all of these things happen. And I think it, some way and somehow and on some level, we all have experienced these and they all look different for each person. But knowing and identifying that this was a meltdown, this was a temporary, you know, response to overwhelm and stress. And it, it's, you know, can last for a couple hours. It can last for a couple days. Sometimes that you have sort of what I call the hangover period after a complete meltdown. You know, like one time I picked up a plant stand as an adult married woman with two kids and threw it across the room and, you know, ding to the wall and not a happy, proud moment. But, and I don't even remember what brought it on. I just know, I just remember it was in an argument with my husband and I had never lost control like that, but I had reached a point where I, I was I couldn't verbally express something and I just I got to that point where I just picked something up and I just threw it because it was it was like it was the only way I could express myself. It was the only thing I could do in the moment and it was just after that I just crumbled and I cried and I sobbed and I just beat my fist on the ground. I mean it was just it was really overwhelming. And then I just then you feel like complete and utter crud. Physically, and just you feel like you are like the worst hangover in the world for the next couple of days after that. And you know, I please tell me I'm not alone out there. That I am not the only person that this is how it happens. And I I know that you know some of you guys have said you have something similar. Um, but for me, just getting to know me, <laughs> getting to know me. And finding out and really being aware and awareness is just like the most incredible gift in the world. When somebody looked at me and in this little gray haired man with his glasses and his sport coat looked at me and said, you know, you were missed, you're autistic. 
that's a defining moment in my life because it, it gave me awareness for something I didn't know. And I've taken that awareness and I've applied it to everything. And I stopped, I just stopped being so daggum hard on myself for starters. I stopped being so mean to myself, as my friend Nancy says. And I just started looking at everything as, you know what, from this moment forward, it's a clean slate. I didn't know I was autistic before. I know now. And now I have the opportunity to figure out what that means for me. You know, having discussions with other people helps me sort of figure out me. But knowing that I am my best experiment every day. I sh- that's how I approach my world. I wake up every morning and I'm like, God, I'm glad to be here. And I know that today is going to be a day of lessons. Today is a day of experimentation. And I stopped judging myself. I stopped passing judgment on me because I am my number one harshest critic ever. And I always have been. And I stopped beating myself up. I didn't know I was autistic. Nobody knew. I grew up in the 70s. It wasn't on anybody's radar. You know, my parents did not find it. My gosh, my mother and father are incredibly attentive. They did everything. I mean, if you scrape your your leg and oh my gosh, you know, everything's being done. So I'm not faulting or blaming or or shaming, or or mad at anybody because they missed me. It happened. I can't change that. But I have every power and control from this point forward in how I live and in how I go forward in my life. And when I made that decision, it wasn't It wasn't like everything changed overnight because it doesn't. I mean, you know, you spend decades getting to the point being pretty darn good at automatically being pretty darn cruel to yourself and pretty harsh and judgmental. And so it doesn't over undo overnight, but it can. And that was probably the biggest shift in why meltdowns and burnouts don't happen in my life like they did before. Number one, I know. And number two, I had to start being aware of what is my threshold because energy is the number one thing that we have that is within our power to manage, to control. And each person is different. You know, what are your peak performance hours? Are you trying to force yourself to do really high concentration things when it's not your peak performance hour? You know, mine's early in the morning. Yours might be 10 o'clock at night. You know, just being aware of those kind of things. No, I I didn't even know what questions to ask myself. I'm like, you know, well, what are my core values? I don't know. When I started this this journey, I don't know. I didn't know how to answer that. I mean, I kind of knew what it was. And then it was sort of, I'm going to, you know, tell myself here. I Googled it because I was like, what the heck do you mean? (laughs) What are my pillars? You know, what are my core values? I know what my morals are, you know, I know what I value, but really, you know, I Googled it in the sense of what do they mean? 
what does this question mean and how do I apply it? You know, I, I knew what they were, but I didn't know how it was supposed to be applied and why it mattered. I guess that was the biggest thing. Why does it matter? <laughs> of course, I know what my values are, but why does it matter? Well, it matters because it gets back to your why. It's, it's your guiding principles. It's your guiding values and forces in how you show up every day. And that's one of the biggest things that I've really been reflecting on lately and, and how I've been aligning and helping myself to be authentic and to use masking as a tool. You know, when I show up to a business meeting, I'm not showing up in my ripped jeans and, you know, I'm not showing up, you know, messy and, and, and disrespectful in my speech or anything like that. There's a time and a place for everything. And it's not masking, it's being appropriate for the context. So I know that I am, and so everyone else in the room, neurotypical or otherwise, all shows up to a business meeting in a mask because that's the tool, that's the setting, you know. But it's when you're doing it as a constant daily way of existing and it's not a tool, that's where you get into burnout. That's where you get into feeling like imposter syndrome. That's where you lose yourself. And that's where many of us come to this is we've completely lost ourselves for decades. And now we're like figuring out where is an appropriate masking tool? You know, how do I show up to a business meeting versus how do I, am I just me on my own? Because, you know, I've talked to lots of people and I know I did it for myself. I'm still walking around behaving like I think people want me to behave and I'm by myself. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, when you're just like, you catch yourself once you become aware of it and you're like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> you don't like this. Throw that in the trash can. Why are you drinking that? You don't like that. You know what? It's, it's might be simple, benign, innocuous things like a drink, a flavor of a drink. You don't like it, but everybody else likes it. So you started drinking it and you kind of force yourself so that you're not the odd man out. And then all of a sudden you're like, I don't like this crud. This tastes nasty. Why am I drinking this? You know, I don't have to drink this. And I think that's probably the biggest shift is giving yourself permission to, you don't have to. You don't have to. I'm going to repeat that a third time. You don't have to. If you don't like it, you don't have to. And that was huge for me because I'm like, wait a minute. I thought I had to. Mm -hmm. People, please are coming out. You don't have to. You don't have to. I think that's probably a message that will resonate with a lot of people. I know that does with me as well. I think it sounds like, Carol Jean, you've been able to, number one, forgive yourself for things you were holding yourself to that you really did not need to. <laughs> And I, it sounds like I can imagine the relief, the energy relief and the peace of mind that you've likely gotten from that, knowing now that, you know, there's value in being compassionate to yourself. You are already very compassionate to others. You're understanding that, you know, in the environment you grew up in, in the society and culture that you grew up in there were expectations and you're very forgiving I think with yourself with oneself it can be definitely very much harder if we've gotten ourselves into that you know 
way of navigating the world like you were kind of alluding to earlier in which when you were a kid it didn't pay to stand out it didn't pay quote unquote to be different than the crowd and so i really want you for doing that and i love the message that you have i wonder i wonder if you might struggle with this too in which maybe in the past your sense of self was dependent on all the different feedback that you were getting externally. How has that actually in some ways helped you build up, let's say, a better understanding on your blank plate of yourself? So for example, I'm really curious, Carol Jean, I have a lot of amazing positive impressions from even just the conversations I've had with you so far, but I'm very curious throughout your lifetime, were there any really key things that you were consistently complimented on? Um, things that may have surprised you, things that may not have surprised you? Um, and what are some of your thoughts on that now as an adult? Hmm. Oh. You know, it's, it is a very human thing to remember all the negatives. Some of 10 people can tell you something really fantastic about yourself. You're going to remember the one thing somebody said that was a negative in, in your mind. Because it's all about perception, right? And it's kind of hard to answer that question, Andrea. <laughs> I mean, I things that I don't have control over, you know, like the way I look. Okay. Thanks, I think. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I, my looks don't offend you. Good. Um, I guess I was surprised one time by a compliment I received from someone I really respected. Um, I was in the Junior League of Mobile. Well, I was in the Junior League International. And in one of the chapters I was in for several years, um, moved around a lot. Uh, but when I was in Mobile, uh, we had these two wonderful women come and give a training class and a workshop. And Junior League is really phenomenal about training and empowering their volunteers as we would go out into the community. And this was sort of getting to know yourself and getting to know team dynamics. And this was sort of one of those little breadcrumb things that I learned along the way that sort of changed how I saw other people. And in this workshop, they had asked a question and I had responded, you know, just me being me. And after the workshop, one of the women that had been leading it, it's pretty well known, came up and sat next to me and she said, I want you to know I have never heard someone speak so eloquently, so off the cuff and on the spot. She said, you speak beautifully and you really tie things together in a way that makes sense on the spot. She said, very few people do that. And if I have to look back, I would have to say that that was probably one of those compliments that you do remember and you do take note of because of the person 
delivering it. And I thought, well, that was just me being me. But it was something that she noticed and then acknowledged. And Judy Umless, who I absolutely adore, she is the head and founder of the Grateful Leadership Institute. And I had the honor of getting to meet her and, and, and speak with her. And I wrote an article for her, her group, um, Grateful Leadership. And she wrote, she's written several books, but one of the books that she has written is, is the, you know, the art of, of acknowledgement, the gift of acknowledgement. And that was one of those moments where somebody took the time to acknowledge something that they saw in me. And I'm sure it's happened and I don't normally pay attention, I guess. I sort of file it away as, okay, whatever. It was just, you know, it's just me. But that one really stood out. And it's, it's made a difference in my life because it's given me more confidence to speak because I do speak publicly and, you know, I have been a prisoner and a trainer and all that. And that kind of her voice and that plays in my head as a reminder, especially on those days where I feel like, why? (laughs) What am I doing? Why am I here? If I lost my mind, I have no business being here telling anybody anything. But then I'm like, you know what? I do have something to share and I, I do share it in my way and it does connect with someone. Well, it definitely does. And I, 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 I smiling throughout you sharing this because I could not agree more. I think you are so eloquent in how you present a lot of different complex and sometimes really difficult thoughts, not just to go back into what we've just been talking about a little bit more autobiographically in yourself, but day in and day out when you're doing uh, uh, all of these different activities and creating all of these different resources for the wider autistic brain community. So I'm, I, I couldn't agree more, honestly. So I'm glad to hear that that's made a difference and an impact on, it sounds like your own self, sense of self. Sometimes it does help to get, an external opinion. Sometimes it's a little bit more difficult when we pay equal attention to all the external feedback, even the type of feedback that's not so helpful to us. Uh, sometimes, of course, it is really important to take heed of, you know, uh, constructive criticism delivered in a really great way it can be really powerful. But I'm really, really glad to hear that, you know. Well, and you use the word powerful. And that's exactly what Judy Umless says. It's the power of acknowledgement. And I had sort of organically come to that on my own. But when I started to be very intentional about acknowledgement, it's, it's not a gift you're really giving to someone else because you are. But is the secondary gift that you receive when you realize that your words have power. And not only does that power apply to how you give it to others, it applies to yourself. And something that you and I talked about before we came into this podcast, 
has power. And we talked about how I shared with you how something that happened leading up to this podcast brought this on. If you are very sensitive to or triggered by talking of abuse, uh, sexual abuse, food, drugs, anything in that respect, I'm about to discuss it. You may want to stop here or you might need to be in a place where you can can participate in listening or watching. I had a phone call with someone and it brought up a lot of things. This person was going through something that they were trying to wrap their head around and it was about sexual abuse. And I'm going to not get graphic and I'm not going to get real deep on it, but I'm going to talk about abuse in the sense of how many of us, because we've gone for decades and not known we were autistic, we're really mean to ourselves in a lot of ways. And I am talking about this from my own personal experience. I was really mean to myself and I was really abusive to myself. Because I thought I was broken. I thought I was wrong. I thought I was bad. I thought that I didn't get it and everybody else got it. And there was something wrong with me because I didn't. And this conversation that I had leading up to this podcast with Andrea, I had literally an hour, one hour to process this. And those of you who have alexithymia like I do know that an hour to process your emotions is not nearly enough. But I have honed my tool set and I've learned to process a whole lot faster. So an hour gave me some time to process. And I'm having this conversation and I, I checked with Andrea before we talked about this. I said, are you okay with this? You know, can this is something I'm, I've just had happen and I shared with her. And she was very kind in her very gentle way and said, I have no problem with that. (laughs) I'll ask you any questions you need me to ask you to kind of help you get through this. And I said, okay, good. Can't promise I won't cry, but I'm going to do my best. Because I think that this is something I really need to share because there's somebody out there and there might just be one somebody and that's okay. The rest of you might go, oh my gosh, Carol Jean, I can't believe you just did this, but here it comes. I've been really, really mean and abusive to myself because I didn't know I was autistic. And my earliest memory was in fourth grade in Miss Obie's class at Julius T. Wright School for Girls. This is this darling little private school that I went to and everybody loves you and everybody pats you on the head and everybody's wonderful. Yet I didn't feel that way. I didn't think that way. And in fourth grade, I had already been dealing with thoughts of suicide since I was six. So I already knew something was wrong with me because nobody else talked about that. Nobody else thought like that. But I did. And I didn't know why. So, you know, my mother being my mother said, let's figure this out. It's okay. And I go to a child psychologist and, you know, I cried and I don't think I got any help. 
because in fourth grade, all the kids are going to gym class and I'm hiding and I'm drinking the rubbing alcohol off the back counter of the classroom because I was hoping that it would end it all. Now, I don't know if you can die from drinking rubbing alcohol, but in fourth grade, that was probably the best thing I could get my hands on. (laughs) And I did it a lot. And I did it for a whole long time. And it tasted horrible and it made my stomach sick. And it never did anything. I remember hiding, wanting, running away, teachers coming to look for me because I just needed to be alone. It was too much that day. And then you get into high school and, you know, navigating early years is a little easier when you get into junior high and high school. Hormones change and the group dynamics of male-female interaction and social interaction drastically changes. And my life was no different. And being in the social world that I grew up in, you know, you're in a high school sorority and fraternities. You go to these parties. You you know, you have these big groups of friends. I mean, you run in packs, basically. And I never really fit in. I was always sort of on the outskirts. And so when I had to go to parties, when I had to go to sorority winter formals, things like that, I drank. We could easily get our hands on alcohol. It wasn't any big deal. I looked older. I had a fake ID. I was usually the one buying the booze, you know. It just, so that was pretty bad. And that's how I coped. And many of us use alcohol as a coping mechanism. You know, I didn't become a drunk. I didn't become an alcoholic. But I did abuse my body. I abused myself. You know, I would drink too much. I would get in situations that probably weren't the best for me. Thought that, you know, having sex with boys was how you got them to like you. I thought that's what everybody did. So I abused myself by not valuing myself and had sex with boys I really didn't want to probably. And I didn't really enjoy it. You know, I abused myself by overeating and not being healthy. I abused myself by depriving myself of food because I didn't think I deserved it. There's so many things in my life where I have abused myself. I, and the biggest abuse has been how I talk to myself for long, long periods of time. And up until I knew I was autistic and that I was, I thought differently. I experienced the world differently. And I thought, oh my God, there's a reason why everything has been like this. And then I had to forgive myself. I had to allow myself to know that I am valuable and that I am worth forgiving because there is nothing anyone has ever done to me that was worse than what I did to myself and when I got to a place where I did forgive myself for everything I didn't know, for everything that I 
didn't understand about myself or about the world. It wasn't that people were out to hurt me. It wasn't that people were out to get me. It was just, I didn't understand and they didn't understand me. So I had to forgive myself for not knowing. I had to forgive others for not knowing. And I had to start loving and knowing me. And when you say, you know, how is it that you get through burnout? How is it that you stop masking? How is it that you get to the other side? How is it that you get to this place that you keep talking about, Carol Jane, that's joy-filled and peaceful and is this freedom like you've never experienced before? When someone asks me that, I can honestly tell you, it starts with you. It starts with forgiving yourself for not knowing. Forgiving others for not knowing. Because they didn't do it on purpose and you didn't do it to yourself on purpose. And when you do that, you can then begin to let go of all of the things that you believed about yourself and all the verbal abuse that you gave to yourself because you didn't know. And you can let it slowly go because it doesn't, it's not easy. It's a habit. And you begin to know yourself and love yourself. And you begin to emerge and you wipe this slate And you say, okay, now I know. Now I can make different choices. I can make different decisions. And this is the greatest gift I have ever received. Is the day that man looked at me and said, you know, you were missed. Because he gave me the gift of knowledge and awareness. And I have chosen and I have directed and I have crafted every step since and it's an intentional choice that i've made and my life is happier than it's ever been and it's not happy because happiness is based on happenings and that is circumstantial so i don't go for that i have had joy and i have joy i possess joy in all things and when i picture or visualize joy That is still this peace and this contentment in all things. So if the world is in chaos around me, it doesn't affect my joy. Because it is a state of being. I lived for four decades on happiness and happenings. And that's pretty freaking miserable. So I had to let that false circumstantial happiness go and I had to be joyful and when I chose that state of being that changed everything wow the choice to live joyfully it it really is a choice right and I want to thank you Carol Jean on behalf of like I can only imagine our our listeners and our community for being so candid, open with your story. I know that that 
has caused a lot of pain for you in the past and it probably may still cause some pain recalling some of that in the present as well but I know that you're doing so to be able to help relate this to others so that they can also understand that you know if they may have been going through something similar in the past it's okay it's okay to forgive yourself like you said for things that you didn't know any better forgive yourself for maybe not valuing yourself or even criticizing yourself in ways that were unjust and furthermore ways that maybe others have treated you i think like you said when somebody gives you the acknowledgement, let's say in the form of an autistic diagnosis, or even you come to the self-realization that you may be autistic, that form of self-acknowledgement is only one key milestone and starting point. The rest of what happens is in our hands, it's in our agency, right? And so like you said, it sounds like you've been able to understand, acknowledge yourself, rebuild a self-understanding with compassion, with care, with self-love, even though it hasn't been a journey overnight, hasn't been a 180, hasn't been a whole flip, but it sounds like that's an ongoing journey that we all have with ourselves. And it's just so inspiring to hear how much you've been able to, to grow and benefit and come to the realization of where you are right now, where, like you said, you, you we acknowledge our ups and downs. We acknowledge what may have um, maybe hurt us in the past. But like you said earlier, just to uh, bring back something I think very poignant that you shared was that life is all about learning. Life is learning, right? Sometimes we'll need to learn. Sometimes we'll need to unlearn. Sometimes we'll need to relearn. But it's a continuous, continuous process of learning in a way in so many different senses of the word. And I, I think this has been such a great learning experience so far. I know you've started Mind Your Autistic Brain as a community, part of you know yeah. your own uh, self-understanding and self-journey. And I think there were quite a few different people who are curious about, I know you've shared a little bit about this in the past, but for those who may not have you know, been able to have a bigger sense of the picture of what has been motivating you so far. I wonder if you might feel comfortable sharing a little bit more about, you know, okay, why if, for example, understanding yourself is one thing, why go to the next step of then creating this whole thing for other people? Oh, well, first I gotta tap my eyes here. <laughs> Ooh, got a little tear there. I promised I'd try. I didn't say I would succeed. Um, the why. <laughs> oh, and that is always such a powerful question. The why is very simple, actually. Why should anyone ever do this alone? I was alone. I didn't know to look. I didn't know to do it. I worked really hard and, and put all this stuff together on my own before I finally reached out to have an inkling that 
that there was a community. And um, through that, my biggest thing is in creating Mind Your Autistic Brain and the community and the learning, the teaching, the resources, the tools, all of it is so that not one more late identified adult autistic ever goes through this journey alone and feels the weight of having to do it all by themselves, to figure it out all by themselves because they're currently in this moment that we are having this conversation. There are no tools or resources provided for an adult autistic. My friend Jason in the UK says, they hand you your papers. They tell you, these are the things you have a hard time with. Here's some books to read. You managed this far. Keep doing whatever you're doing. And that is a travesty. That is an absolute travesty. It is completely unacceptable in my book. And I said, well, you know what? You got a big mouth. You love to teach. You do research. That's kind of your thing, Carol Jean. Why not use it? Why not use it for something that's going to really matter? And I can say I've done a lot of things in my life. I've been pretty accomplished in most things that I've done. And I get bored pretty easily because I have ADHD. So you got about a seven-year cycle, kind of like my mom says. (laughs) But this is something very different. For the first time, this is something that my entire being and every breath I draw from this point forward will always be dedicated to ensuring that there are resources, that there is a person or people in a group that someone can reach out to so that they are not alone because I know how incredibly painful and scary it is to be alone, to start this journey alone. To not know that you're okay and you're going to be okay. And it may not be okay right now. And and that's sometimes the case. But that's not how it will always be. And I said, who am I to have done all this work, to have done all of these things that I have discovered for myself, that I would not share it? Why would I do that to another person? If I can share and help one other person in some way make their life better and enrich their journey and their awareness of themselves as an autistic to know that they are not broken, they're not alone. We're here doing it together. And the biggest component is that I believe in doing all things through a place of kindness, gentleness patience, and understanding. Because it's quite often something that we have not received in our life up to this point, and it's certainly not something that we often give to ourselves much, especially when we didn't know and we were pretty abusive to our own self. So one of the biggest parts is that in the Mind Your Autistic Brain community, you're kind, you're gentle, you're patient, you're understanding with yourself, and with the, the wounded person next to you, because you know, you're in a group of people that have all come from places of hurt and trauma. And this is, you know, a really sensitive group. And it's we have to also endure the bumps together because we're not always going to communicate in a way that 
doesn't hurt somebody's feelings or make them cry. And it's not ever intentional. But part of that is, is coming together in a safe place to begin to try some of these new skills and these new tools that we're learning as we become more aware of who we are as people. Because that's really what it's about. We're learning who we are as people with the knowledge now that we just are wired differently. We think differently. We experience the world differently and we're not broken. You don't have to fix us. This is just us. And this is how we are now learning who we are, unlearning all the crud that the world has built up around us. And when we get to know ourselves, it's just like when you learn to walk. You didn't start out standing up and hitting the ground running. Very few people do that. But you start out, you crawl, you scoot, you know, and in mind your artistic brain is where you can come to scoot and crawl and, and toddle because you're not going to run right out the gate. It's just not going to happen. That's just not how learning works. But you got to remember that, you know, learning and change and growth is going to be chaotic. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. You're going to make mistakes. And please stop beating yourself up when something doesn't work out. The lesson you're learning in the process is the gift. And I hope that Mind Your Autistic Brain is the gift that somebody really needed. Wow. Well, I think that just from my personal perspective as a member of the community, you know, I've definitely benefited from this in myself. Uh, I can only imagine that many of our other listeners are definitely uh, very grateful for the way that you see the world, Carol Jean, and for the actions that you've taken to make sure that nobody else, if possible, feels lonely in their journey as well. Like we said, it's really difficult. It's an ongoing thing. Even if we start climbing up a hill, sometimes we'll slip and fall. And there might be days where, you know, even through our self-understanding and self-love and, you know, different way of training ourselves, we're not feeling it. And that's okay, right? Um, but it sounds like you of all people have been a shining example of how You've been able to look at yourself, acknowledge what's happened in your life to you, acknowledge what you've done to and or for yourself, but still love and accept yourself from the perspective that you have today and ongoingly. And I hope that that is something that we can all aspire to do as well. Um, I definitely think um, that's an amazingly inspiring way to live. And I definitely aspire to, to, to continue to do so for my own self. Carol Jean, I know that you're working on so many different amazing things in the works, of course, for the autistic community. I don't know how much, you know, is under wraps or that you're willing to share. I know you had shared a little bit through, I think, social media earlier that you have some really amazing goals and visions. I'm wondering if you might be comfortable kind of walking us through a little bit more about what's kind of going on now that, you know, you've been working on yourself, 
you've recognized that there's an opportunity to help others. What would that kind of ideal dream future state look like for you? This is sort of a discussion that you and I had the other day that sort of catapulted this whole podcast and you asking some questions because you always ask such great questions, Andrea. (laughs) You really do. You always make me think. Um, As far as just the long-term girls and like, why does my draw autistic brain exist? Well, the why is because I don't want anybody to ever have to do this alone. I don't want anybody to ever have to do this from a place of anything other than kindness and, and gentleness and patience and understanding because we don't give that to ourselves and we really need that. You know, that that's a critical component, that particular viewpoint. Um, the other is that I look into the world and I'm like, okay, I need help. I need resources. There's, there's some great books out there. There's some great communities and, and places that you can go in Facebook groups and things like that. But what I wasn't seeing is examples of people who were late identified autistic who had really made some changes and were really able to process their life before and begin to craft the life that they wanted to lead and to do it in a really authentically autistic way because we do things different from the rest of the world. And I don't think that we have to do it any other way than how we do it. And that is an individual thing. Um, And within that, I identified that there's no tools available. There's no resources available. There's nothing that once they hand you these papers or once you come to your own identification and you do all the research and you're like, look, I don't have the money. The resources aren't there. The foundational type things aren't there. Or I don't really need a piece of paper from somebody. I know when I know. And that's fine. That works and that is perfectly valid. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But there needs to be something that's available, something that's tangible, something that's structured, something that will give each person who is given the knowledge that they're autistic, they've been autistic their whole life and you've gone for decades not knowing it and everything has been confusing and hadn't made sense. And now all of a sudden, you know, and then there's like, well, here's some books. We think these might help. And, you know well-meaning and well-intentioned neurotypical people are saying, you know, well, here's a stack of some pamphlets, you know, you, you're doing fine. Keep going. It doesn't work for me. And that, that's not okay. Um, so I'm in the process in right now, January, 2021. Um, I'm in the process of just starting research and development uh, for a resource, a tool for late identified autistics for autistic adults. And it is specifically geared for autistic adults and how to help get to know who you are, how to get to the authentic you in the least amount of time to do it in a way that is going to give you more knowledge and awareness about what your needs are, what your stresses are. This helps get to you knowing the tools that help you, not the person next to you, you specifically, so that meltdowns, burnouts, you know, all of the things that we have been living with and, and struggling with our whole life that we didn't know how to figure out, to give you a roadmap, to give you this beautiful picture that says, these are the things that you know about yourself. These are some things you may not be aware of about yourself. And this is how it all comes together. And here's this beautiful gift. So now you have this very concrete set of tools 
it's sort of like your owner operator manual. And it is a, an incredible project. And I am so very fortunate to have a wonderful partner and friend help me in this. And he and I have been working for the last year to get the, the grant that we've received for this project. Um, and participation uh, will be opening up for a very small group to participate in this research and development as we move forward so that we will then be able to take this and make it a, a global resource because this is something that we are developing in 24 different languages so that it is going to be available to everyone and we will be adding to it as we go. This isn't a United States thing, an English speaking thing. This will be a global tool for autistic adults. Wow, that's incredibly exciting just to hear your vision for what's possible and what you're already working on. So I can't wait to see that. And I love that you're thinking even in terms of scalability into a global reach, right? It sounds like not just through, you know, different languages and availability that way, but it sounds like just being able to be customized to each individual person, because like we have all talked about, you know, every individual's experience is so unique and that needs to be honored. And so yeah. I can't wait to hear more about what's going on. It sounds like, you know, Carol Jean, you and the team are taking amazing steps so far to build the best foundations and really live that, you know, nothing for us without us um, ethos and taking the time to really listen to the community, listen to and understand the needs of who you're trying to serve. Right. And so so exciting. I mean, right now we're in January 2021, like you said, but, you know, soon we'll be able to have such great resources for everybody. Yes. Um, yeah. I wanted to say this has been so lovely being able to speak with you, Carol Jean. Thank you for being so open, so honest, so giving, so kind and gentle with your story and your experiences. Um, I'm really curious. Is there anything you'd like to leave the listeners off with as a uh, as a final final thought? I think that the best tip, because that's usually what I ask my guests. You know, what's your your best tip? What do you want to tell the person next to you who's just starting their journey? And mine is. To know that all of the answers that you seek are already inside of you. You are already the very most incredible person. You are not broken. There is nothing that needs to be fixed. You are in this wonderful place in your life where you have received this gift of awareness and knowledge that you are autistic. And this is the turning point. This is the pivotal point where you begin to make intentional changes and choices. And you have all of the power and authority in your own life to write your story, to live your life in a place of joy, and peace and freedom 
that it is possible. There is nothing that is impossible. Your awareness is what is key and the lessons that you learn every day. It isn't a success. It isn't a failure. It isn't right. It isn't wrong. It is a lesson. And everything that you need is already inside of you. That's beautiful. We should all move with intent, move ourselves with intent, move forward into the world with intent. Yes. Andrea, thank you so much for agreeing to be the interviewer today and for being so incredibly kind and generous with your time and your amazing talents. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for taking the time to share this hour with Andrea and myself. If you are not yet a member of the Mind Your Autistic Brain community, I'd like to personally invite you to join us. We are coming together all from different places, all across the world, different ages, different stages. And we're here encouraging, supporting, and loving one another in kindness, gentleness, patience, and understanding. We share our resources, we share our experiences, and we're growing together because a rising tide raises all ships. Thank you for being here today. See you next week.